we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Where there is division, there must be conflict. That is a law, and we all know this. Hello and welcome to episode 93 of Urgency of Change. Each weekly episode in this season of the Krishnamurti podcast is based on a major theme of the philosopher's talks, such as freedom, self-knowledge, beauty, intelligence and meditation. Extracts from our archives have been carefully selected to represent Krishnamurti's different approaches to each of these universal and timelessly relevant themes. This week's theme is conflict. Upcoming themes are anonymity and creativity, religion and love. This podcast is brought to you by Krishnamurti Foundation Trust, based at Brockwood Park in the UK. For more information about activities and programmes at Brockwood, such as the Krishnamurti Retreat Centre, Brockwood Park School, and more about the Foundation, please visit our website at kfoundation.org. You can also find our daily quotes and videos on Instagram and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. This week's episode on conflict has four sections. The first extract is from Krishnamurti's second question-and-answer meeting in Ojai, 1981, titled Where there is division, there is conflict. When you're asking this question, why human beings are in conflict? You're asking a tremendous question. Not why I am in conflict. You're asking why human beings who have lived over five, ten, I don't know, million years and not one or two, one or two human beings absorbed it. The rest of mankind is caught in this travail. And it's important to understand this. And asking also whether it's at all possible to be utterly, totally, absolutely free of conflict. Not occasionally, not when you are looking at the mountain and the beauty of the hills and the shadows and the heavens, but in daily life. Why? Where there is contradiction, there must be conflict. Where there is division, there must be conflict. Physical division, as one nation opposed to another nation, one set of dogmas against another set of dogmas, one superstition opposed to another superstition, one conclusion opposed to another conclusion, 
one experience greater than the other experience. This constant division, contradiction, opposition must invariably create conflict. That's a law, not my law. It's the law. law. And we all know this. You see the United Nations, you see what's happening in Russia and Afghanistan, all the horrors that are going on. One ideology opposed to other ideologies. And we have never solved this problem. Is it that we like to live in conflict? You say, well, nature is in conflict. That's one of our favourite excuses. You see, the bigger animal kills the smaller animal. You see one plant searching life, and the bigger tree shadowing it. There's constant struggle in nature. Which, I quest- which the speaker questions. We call it conflict. We, with our own minds, which are full of conflict, misery, and all that, we say the nature is in conflict. But nature is not in conflict, we let it alone. You know that, I don't agree. We're asking why human beings have lived, who have lived for millions and millions of years, have tolerated, put up with conflict. Is it habit? We've got used to this conflict, wars. The chicanery that's going on among the governments. Is it that we are so dull that we never challenge ourselves? And if we are in conflict, we invent thousand escapes from conflict. We have a marvellous network of escapes from God to football. Both are the same when you are escaping. One is not more nobler than the other. And can we find out now, this morning, talking over as two friends, friends who are concerned with this issue, resolve it, which means not take time. See our conflict, that is. We are, each one of us is so self-centered. Each one of us is so concerned about himself, his happiness, his fulfilment, his sorrow, his escape, his belief, all this he's clinging to. That is, where there is attachment, there must be conflict. 
it's a fact. If I'm attached to my Hinduism or whatever it is, I'm frightened to let go. Because I don't know what will happen. I want to be certain. And also, being uncertain, being self-centered, I want to become something, become nobler, be successful in this world, more money, more pleasure, more insurance. Go from one concept of God, Saviour, to another. And being self-centred, and my my wife is also being self-centred, naturally there must be conflict. This is inevitable. Right? I am seeking my fulfilment through sex, through oh, so many things, and she's also doing the same. So there are two separate entities, at least they think they are separate, with their tremendous urges, reactions, prejudices brutalities, ambition, be something at any price. How can these two opposing, contradictory human beings be free from this toil, from this conflict? They can never be. Never. Either in heaven or in other places. How can they? I don't know. This is so obvious. But the obvious we generally we deny because it's not simple. It's, we want something complex. Something we can study, analyze, discuss, you know, play around. We can never see something obvious, simple, and say, look, let's deal with it. Let's find out if one cannot be, if one can be really, deeply not self centered. All our education, all our religious aspirations, and all that encourages the self centeredness. You're going to be saved. You know, the whole monstrous religious attitude, organized religious attitude, is encouraging this. The Indians have it in their particular way, and the Christians, but you know, all world. So, the fact is, where there is division, there must be conflict. If one sees the truth of it, the actuality of it, that is, I want to fulfill my desire, and she does too. So my desire is opposed to her desire. We don't tackle desire. You understand what I'm saying? We uh, we try to fulfill my desire as opposed to her desire. Whereas desire is the understanding of desire is important, not. My fulfilment of my desire. I'm, so I'm 
Have we, have we communicated this to each other? We are concerned with desire, not my desire. Is this all right, Mel? So this identity with my particular experience, my particular desire, my particular fear, fear of my particular death, so this identity with an idea, you understand? Or identity with some actual fact, like I have pain. I have a toothache, all right, I have a toothache. We are wrong with it. <laughs> but not the everlasting concern about oneself. Now, you see, the truth of this, that where there is separation, there must be conflict. Arab and Jew, what's happening? The earth is ours to, to live on, to live upon, to share. It's our earth, not the Arab world, and you know, God's sake. And apparently we don't see that. So, can we perceive the truth of it? Truth, the act, the actual fact, not the theory that separations have, will bring conflict, but the actual feeling, the truth of it. Can you feel it? Feel it? Not the intellectual concept of it, of seeing, the intellectual comprehension of that division must inevitably create conflict, but the actual fact of it. If a group of people see it, they still part of humanity. They will, I mean, it's like a tremendous movement taken totally in a different direction. But apparently, we cannot do this. And out of this comes misery, conflict, confusion, problems, endlessly. You know, the speaker has been saying for the last sixty years that truth is a pathless land, which is a fact. There is no path to it, no saviour to it, no leader, no system. Nothing but the understanding of the fact that truth has no power. To see that. If you see also very clearly for yourself that any form of division must inevitably create conflict. From this question arises, we live in a society whose laws, governments, religions are all struggling against each other in a world, wanting to be more powerful than anybody else. This is our cycle, this is our culture. And this culture has been like this for a million years. 
in ancient Egypt, five thousand years ago, they were trying to be supreme over everybody else. And we are carrying that same pattern through life. So, what shall we do? What will you, as a human being, who is actually the rest of mankind, what will you do? You hear something true, which is fact, physical fact, Arab and the Jew. You opposed to somebody else. You with your belief, with your experience, with your knowledge, opposed to somebody else with their knowledge, with their follow. Conflict. What will you do? If one sees, or when you see the truth, that division in any form is destructive, and the world is caught in this destructiveness, what is your relationship with the world? And somebody comes along, takes your property or this or that, and so creates conflict. What is your action? Do you understand all this? Huh? Are we t- together in the understanding verbally even what we are talking about? So can you, when you leave this grove, be free of conflict? And it's only the person that is free from conflict can meet conflict. You understand? Not the person who is in conflict, he merely perpetuates more conflict. But a man, but a human being who is free from conflict, he can meet it legally in any way, because in himself he is free from this torture. Now, there is this problem of conflict. Can you watch your conflict and give it complete attention? Please just listen to it for a few minutes. You have a problem, which is conflict. Can you look at it, not only listen to the problem, the Tones, the content, the the subtleties of the problem. Can you look at it without trying to resolve it? Without trying to say give it any direction, without any motive, which is to give when you have a motive, it gives a direction. And therefore, you you are distorting the problem. So, can you sensitively be aware of conflict? Not act upon it, because you are part of that conflict. You are conflict. So, if you act upon it, you are further creating more conflict. So, look at that conflict, conflict, the little one and the 
whole human conflict, the personal and the global. Look at it. Listen to its story. Don't tell you don't don't you tell what the story is. Let it tell you the story. Like a child like a child who is sitting on your lap, whom you love, is telling you a story. You don't interrupt the child. You are not rude to it. You want him to go tell you all about it. In the same way, let this conflict tell you all about it. Only you have to have you have to have years to listen to it. Not only with the hearing of the ear, but also hear inwardly the nature of it. Can you so listen to it? Giving your whole attention to it. Without any effort. When you are with a child who is telling you a story, you are not making an effort to say, I must control myself, I must be more patient. You are listening because you love that child. In the same way, listen. And then you will see the problem flowers, grows, sees the. Uh, it shows its whole content. And when it has shown all its content, it passes away, it's finished. You understand? That's the flowering and the withering of a problem, which doesn't take time. It's only the impatient mind that takes that has time. That says I must stop this. But mind that is listening very carefully, sensitively, alert to all its tiny movements and to its very, very subtle movements. When you listen to it, when you give your complete attention to it. And you cannot give complete attention if you have a motive, if you have a direction, if you say, I must do this, then nothing will happen. But if you give your total attention, the problem shows itself fully and so dissolves, like a flower. Of the morning, the bud is there and the evening is filled. The second extract is from the fifth talk in Sanin, 1977, titled is it possible to live without conflict? So our question is, is it possible to live a daily life without any conflict whatsoever? Most people would say you must have conflict, otherwise there is no growth. Part of life is conflict. A tree in a forest fights, struggles to reach the sun. That's a form of conflict. Every animal and so on makes conflict. But we are human beings, supposed to be intelligent, supposed to be educated, supposed to have sufficient knowledge, historical, and yet we are constantly in conflict. Now, discontent says, why should I be in conflict? You understand? 
Are you doing this now? We are educated to conflict. Conflict implies comparison, imitation, conformity, adjustment to a pattern, modified continuity of what has been through the present to the future. Right? All this is a process of conflict. The deeper the conflict, the more neurotic one becomes. And therefore, not to have conflict at all, one believes in something most deeply. You believe in God most deeply and say that His will be done. And we create a monstrous world, right? Which is His will being done. And conflict implies, as I said, comparison. To live without comparison. You understand? Please do it now, which means no ideal, no authority of a pattern, no conformity to a particular idea or ideology, and therefore being freedom from the prison of ideas. Right? Are you following? Are you doing it? So that there is no comparison, no imitation, no conformity. Therefore, you are stuck with what is. Right? Actually, what is? Because comparison comes only when you compare what is with what should be, or what might be, or try to transform what is into something that which is not. All this implies conflict. Right? Thousands go to India, from America and from Europe, to find enlightenment, to find the real Guru, because they realize their religion, their, their outlook is very limited, materialistic, and India is supposed to be tremendously spiritual, which is not. And there people go and try to find out. And they, the guru, the pattern, the tradition says, do this, then that, conform to this. And they try every way, which is to bring about greater conflict in themselves. Right? This is what's happening right throughout the world. And so we are asking, is it possible? To live without conflict. Now, it is possible when you have an insight into what is being said, to find out actually in daily life to live without comparison. Right? Therefore, you removed a tremendous burden. Right? I wonder if you see that. And if you remove the burden of comparison, imitation, conformity, adjustment, modification, then you are left with what is. Right?
Conflict exists only when you try to do something with what is. Right? You may go on. When you try to transform it, modify it, change it, do it or suppress it, run away from it, then conflict arises. But if you have an insight to what is, that is, conflict ceases. You understand my point? Are you doing it? When there is no comparison and so on, then you are left with what is. Conflict arises only when you are moving away from what is. Right? And what happens with the thing what is? I'll show you. One is greedy or envious or violent. The fact is that you are violent, greedy, envious or violent. That's a fact. The non-fact is non-violence must not be greedy, you must be noble, etc., etc. So there is movement away from what is, and therefore that is conflict. Come on, sirs. So when you do not move away from what is, when thought does not move away, then it is then only that is what is. Right? I'm violent. What is violent? That's a fact. I'm not there's no escape from it whatsoever. Suppression of all the violence. Which is another form of violence. So you are left with violence or with greed or with envy. Can you have an insight into violence? Violence implies conflict. Violence implies running away from what is. Violence implies having an ideal of non-violence. So when you put away all that, you are left with what is. And to have an insight into that, that is, that can only happen. Please follow this, give your heart to this. That can only happen when you are completely free of any form of having a desire to change what is. The third extract is from Krishnamurti's first talk at Brockwood Park in 1984, titled, Is Thought the Cause of Conflict? We are asking whether thought, the whole process of thinking, is that one of the basic causes of war, of conflict, which is also war, ultimately. Right? Therefore one has to inquire, as we did into, what is time? Time is the past, the present and the future. It's a continuous series of movements associated So the time is the past, the present and the future, and that time is contained in the now. Is that one of the factors 
of conflict, time. And also we are asking, is thought, the whole process of thinking, both objectively and subjectively, thinking, is that also one of the major causes of conflict? And to go into that we have to ask, what is thinking? We spend our days and nights and years in thinking. All our actions are based on thinking. In our relationship with each other, thinking plays an immense part. Thinking is part of recognition, knowledge. Thinking has done extraordinary things subjectively. From the latest bomb, the atom bomb, the most complicated ceramic structure, the great battleships, submarines, computers, and also thinking has given ma mankind great medicine, surgery, and so on. So we have to inquire, what is thinking? When the question is asked, what is thinking, are you thinking or listening to the question, what is thinking, and observe Thinking. So we You've understood? Yes. No. Don't think, please. This. <coughs> You're asking. Someone is asking you. What is thinking? Do you immediately? find what he's thinking, work at it, or inquire, search, or do you listen to the question? You understand? Listen, which means there must be quality of silence when you are listening. Right? We are asking what is thinking. Probably you never asked this question of yourself, or perhaps the professionals have not written about it. Perhaps you are used to being told by the professionals what is thinking, and then you will repeat. But that is not. The, that, that prevents inquiry into what is thinking. You are just merely repeating, that's not thinking. So what is thinking? What is the origin of thought? The thought that has put man on the moon? the thought that has divided the world into nationalities, the thought that has made wars, the thought between you and your wife and husband, girl, boy and so on. What is this enormous energy of thought? Is not thinking a process of 
the resp- or process of memory, right? Process of memory. Memory is stored in the brain, which memory comes with knowledge. Knowledge is based on experience. Right? All scientific knowledge is based on experiment, theories, hypothesis, knowledge. Always adding more and more and more in any field, whether it be in the mathematical world, biological, or aerodynamics and so on. In every field, knowledge is based on experience. When there is knowledge is being added all the time, accumulated, therefore experience is limited. So knowledge is limited, right? Both now and in the future. Because knowledge is always limited. And so memory is limited, and thus thought is limited. Anything that is limited must cause conflict. Right? If one is thinking about oneself from morning till night, as most people do, their worries, their problems, their like and dislike, their perpetually concerned with their own self. That's a very, very limited way of living. And therefore, that which is limited must inevitably cause conflict. When Britain says, we are British, it's very limited. And therefore, they perpetually at war with the They've lost empires, you know, all that business. France is limited, and so every country wanting security creates boundaries of thought, culture, language, and therefore is limited. So every form of limitation must inevitably cause conflict. And one finds security in this limitation. Right? Because the brain is seeking all the times in some form of security. Whether the security is illusory or actual. And most of us want security in some form of illusion. These are facts. And so thought, being always limited, it can think expansively. It can imagine the limitless horizon, limited, limitless universe. But it, because it thinks, it imagines, therefore that is limited. So wherever there is a limitation, there must be war, there must be conflict, because that limitation divides, separates. Are we together in this? Little bit, at least. So will you, when you see that, will you cease to be British? Will you cease to be German, French, Indian and all that nonsense? Because then your brain is extraordinarily free from limitation. 
and it's got tremendous energy there. So limitation is the vestige of life. You understand this? When one is thinking about oneself, that is, how to meditate, how to become religious, how to be happy, how to be you know, how to be free of problems, think, which is all thinking about oneself. That thinking about oneself is very limited. And therefore, in your in our relationship, there is always conflict. Is therefore thought and time, we say, is the causation of one of the major reasons of conflict. If one understands that deeply, not verbally, not merely repeating something somebody has said, but actually your own perception, seeing the truth of it. That very perception frees the brain from conflict. The final extract this week is from the third question and answer meeting in Sanin, 1981, titled The Root of Conflict in Relationship. We are penetrating into the problem why two people can never seem to live together without conflict. What is the root of this conflict? What is the depth or the superficiality of this conflict? And what is my relationship with her or with somebody? Is it superficial? That is sexual? the attraction, the curiosity, the excitement, which are all superficial. Sensory responses are superficial. Right? So, I, I realize these responses are being superficial, and as long as I try to find an answer Superficially, I will never be able to go, I will never be able to see the depth of the problem. So, am I free from the superficial responses and the problems that superficial responses create and try to solve those problems superficially? I don't feel full. Uh, I've seen that, so I won't answer, find an answer superficially. Therefore, I say, what is the root of it? Is it education? Is it being a man, I want to dominate the other? I want to possess the other. I am attached so deeply, I don't want to let go. And do I see that being tied, attached, will invariably bring about corruption? You follow? Corruption in the sense, I'm jealous, I'm anxious, I'm frightened, I want all the sequences of attachment, one knows very well. Or 
Is that the cause of it? Or is the cause much deeper? You follow? First of all, we said superficial. Then psycho, emotional attachments, emotional and sentimental, romantic dependence. If I discard those, then is there still deeper issue involved in this? You're getting? We are moving from the superficial lower and deeper and deeper, so that we can find out for ourselves what is the root of it. I hope you are doing this. Right? Now, how do I find the root of it? How do you find the root of it? Are you wanting an answer, right? wanting to find the root of it, therefore making a tremendous effort, or you want to find it so your mind, your brain is quiet, looking, right? So it's not agitated, it is not the activity of desire, will. So it's just watching. Right? Are we doing together this? Just watching to see what is the deep root or deep cause, the basis of this conflict between human beings. Is it the sense of individual separation. See, see, go into very carefully, please. Is it individual concept that I am separate from the other? Basically, though biologically we are different, but this sense of deep-rooted individual separative action, is that the root of it? Or is there still a deeper root, deeper layer? You understand? I wonder if you're following on. We are together in this. First, sensory responses, sensual responses, then emotional, romantic, <coughs> sentimental responses, then attachment with all its corruption, or is it? something profoundly conditioned brain that says, I am an individual, and she or he is an individual, and we are separate entities, each must fulfil in his own way, and therefore the separation is Basic. Right? Is that so? Is it basic? Or I have been educated to that? That I am an individual. And she must also an individual, must fulfil herself in her own way, and I must equally. So we've already started from the very beginning these two separate directions, maybe running parallel together but never meeting. 
like two railway lines that never meet. And all I am doing is trying to meet, right? Try to live harmoniously, struggle. Oh, darling, you are so good. Follow? Repeat, repeat, but never meet. Right? So, if that is the cause, and apparently it appears to be the cause, the root of it, is that separative existence of an individual a reality? Or is it an illusion, an illusion which I have been nourishing, cherishing, holding on to, without any validity behind it? If it has no validity, I must be quite sure, absolutely, irrevocably sure, that it is an illusion. And can the brain break away from that illusion and realize we are all similar psychologically? You follow? My consciousness is the consciousness of the rest of mankind. Though biologically we differ, we are. Psychologically, our consciousness is similar in all, to all, uh, of all human beings. If I once realized, not intellectually, but at depth, in my heart, in my blood, in my guts, the feeling, then my relationship to one another undergoes a radical change, right? Inevitable. I do. Now, the questioner says, asks, we are in conflict. Must it end? If we are battling with each other all day long, as most people are, struggle, conflict, you know, the bitterness, the anger, the, anger, the hatred, the repulsion. We bear it as long as we can, then comes a moment we have to break. We know the familiar pattern of this. There are more divorces than married, after marriage. And the question asks, what is one to do? If I am everlastingly in conflict with my wife, And somehow I can't patch it over. Must the relationship end? Or I understand basically the cause of this disruption, of this conflict, which is the sense of separate individualities. And I have seen the, the illusory nature of it. And therefore, I am no longer pursuing the individual life. Therefore, what takes place between me, who have perceived that, and lives it, not verbally maintains it, but actually lives it, then what is my relationship with the person, with the woman, who has, who still thinks in terms of the individual. You understand my question? It's very interesting. Go into it. I see, or she sees, better put it onto her. She sees, <laughs> she sees 
the foolishness, the absurdity, the illusory nature of the individual. She understands it, she feels it. And I don't, because I'm a male, I'm more aggressive, more uh, driving and all the rest of that. So what takes place between us? She has comprehended the nature, and I have not. She won't quarrel with me, never, right? She won't enter into that area at all. But I'm constantly pushing her, driving her, and trying to pull her out of that area. I am creating the conflict, not she. You have understood how the whole thing has moved? Are you following all this? The whole thing has moved. There were no two people quarrelling, but only one. See what has taken place. And I, if I am at all sensitive, if I have real feeling for her, I begin to also transform. Because she is irrevocably there. You understand? She will not move out of that area. See what happens. Two, if two immovable objects meet, there is conflict. I don't know. But if one is immovable, the lady, and I am movable, I naturally yield to that which is immovable. Right? I wonder if you understand all this. This is very simple. So, the problem then is resolved if one has real comprehension of relationship without the image, which we went into previously. Then I, by her very presence, by her very vitality of actuality, she's going to transform me. 